Hey, this is John Thornton from North Lake Community Center, and we're here today talking about Irene's legacy. Today joining us is Jesse Kohler, Irene Madrak, Krista Weeder, and Bernetta Williams, in addition to myself. Um, Irene, I think a great conversation starter would be to talk about yourself in the earlier years of Little Irene. Can you tell us about Little Irene? I actually was named after my mother, so I did get called Little Irene, <laughs> all the way into my 40s, I think. Um, anyway, um, I think that um, my parents and uh, my family very early on taught me um, to never judge others by any preconceived notions, uh, but to meet each individual as they come to you, and this really resounded with me. Um, they also said to remember that you don't really know how anyone feels until you've walked in their moccasins. So that was kind of a really strong point for me. Um, and I think that that has helped me um, in my work in the community. Uh, my father also very early on said that life wasn't fair. It's only as fair as you make it. And so that was an important thing that influenced me also into this type of work. So. You see that life isn't fair and life is what you make it. So then what made you transition to Northlight? Well, I actually started at Northlight when I was uh, 17 years old. I was a day camp counselor. And uh, I returned then as an intern. Uh, that was 1976. And in 1979, I returned as an intern during my senior year of college. And that following summer, I actually worked for another nonprofit that brought me into Northlight, supervising some teens there and at a couple other agencies. Um, and then that fall, I guess, of 79, I was offered a position as assistant program director and started to work there. You know, kind of, that was kind of the beginning. Uh, in March of 1980, a few months later, I was offered the uh, position of program director. And I stayed in that position for several years until 1983, when I got offered a better paying position. Um, that I actually accepted, and um, <clears throat> there was then a counter offer by Northlight for me to come back as assistant director to the executive director. And I thought about it long and hard, and really felt that I should stay at Northlight because I would have more autonomy and more freedom to really impact other people's lives than I would have in a larger bureaucracy. So that was really what made me come back. Um, after being an assistant executive director for a few years, John Willard, my predecessor, announced his retirement, and I um, then became acting executive director in July of 1984, and then full-time director, executive director, in uh, January of 85, and spent my time there till this past December. Wow. Speaking of John Willard, um, can you describe some mentors that you've had in the past that helped influence you in your professional development? In addition, maybe John Willard was one of them. Well, he absolutely was. Um, definitely my main mentor in my professional life. But at the same time, Northlight just brought me into contact with so many amazing people, and I learned so many valuable lessons. Um, I, I can't even name them individually because there were board members. Um, fellow staff members, professional colleagues. Um, and I learned a lot from the people that Northlight served, including the children 
taught me many valuable lessons. I added the mouths of babes all the time. If I can go off script for a second, it's dawning on me that (laughs) a lot of these lessons fall outside of what normal business is. Like, it's not just lessons about how to balance a budget, right? It's lessons about how to deal with people. And so I'm wondering if just as an organization that consistently tries to work with people on a heart-to-heart level, right, a one-to-one level, what are some of those lessons? Um, Well, I I think it reinforced for me um, that it's important to take people as they come to you and not to judge others. And um, I think if you keep that in the forefront uh, and act out of concern for your fellow human being, um, you you can't go wrong in that way. And when you do go wrong, uh, you know, at least it's you're acting out of concern. So um, I guess every day at Northland, I think I learned something. It was never boring to me. Never. <laughs> 40 years. <laughs> so, Anne Wright, she was the founder of Northlight. Um, can you share some of her stories? I can. I was really uh, very fortunate and privileged to get to meet her in, I guess, 85, soon after I became director. The and year I was born. Yeah, January we were born. And, uh, you know, she was well into her 80s. And the thing that really struck me um, about her, the story, I mean, she told me just so many stories about how Northlight was founded and, and then how it developed. And, and she actually was a reluctant founder. This was, She was a school principal. This is not something she set out to do. But she saw a need and she responded to it. And um, one of the things that always stuck with me that she said is, we never meant this to be a permanent thing, but somehow it took on a life of its own. And that really stuck with me because it, it almost is kind of a, a living entity as, as an organization. Mm-hmm. So that was a, a big lesson from her. Just, just to note, if you go to our website, and I think that this is part of the video that we showed at the Union League, um, which is the video from our website. But if you go to northlightcommunitycenter.org, you can see a video on our main page that is from the interview that Irene's talking about in 1985, where she and Artie Vibrugge talked to Ann Willard. Ann Wright. Ann Wright, sorry. Sorry, we'll get to John Willard in a second. I don't (laughs) need to make everybody cross-related. But it's a cool, very cool interview to check out. So I just want to add in, um, you said Ann was 80 years old? Well, when I met with her in, in 85, she was well in her 80s. And, um, in fact, she was probably in her late 80s because, if I remember right, she was buried on her 95th birthday, and that was um, in 1991. Wow. Wow. That's extraordinary, actually. I think that's so cool that even in older age, you still want to be a part of a community, like, or create a community for others. Well, she founded it in 1936, so she was a rather young woman then well you know principal kind of mid-career but to still be around mm-hmm. in that early, in that late age of life is just amazing and it kind of speaks a lot of volumes to what north light is currently to this day people come back from all facets of life just to be in a community where you can feel the love i think that's amazing really good 
Yeah, and I, I, I think what's really interesting is the legacy and left behind. The fact that you look at each and every one of us and we walk different ways of life, but at the end of the day, I think each and every one of us still hold her, the essence of her, mm-hmm. in a sense. And I think that's why it's extraordinary. 90 years being here, and then she passed it on to Irene, and Irene's transferring it on to us. And I think that this set of presidents and a tone that has been amazing and made North Blight a sense of family over time. And, and I think, you know, when you look at an organization that's 83 years old and it's only had three, now four directors, but in that span, um, that, that's a lot of commitment. That is. <laughs> All right. What about John Willard? Because me and you had a talk, and I did want you to share this story about John Willard, and I think it's... <laughs> there are so many stories. I'm not going to share my evaluation story, but... Um, okay. <laughs> he just had such an amazing capacity for love of people, and it was almost contagious. And if you met him, he could appear to be a little surly, but he had a very dry sense of humor, and... Um, he enjoyed people, and he, he enjoyed his work at Northlight. Um, he said very early on to me, there's no such thing as a bad kid. There's just no such thing as a bad kid. It, it was That always stuck with me. Um, he also was a skilled community organizer, so he brought, I think, a new facet. Up till that time, Northlight was... Um, he came on in 1952 as director, and up to that time, there were a lot of services coming out of Northlight. But he was brought, he was a community organizer at heart. So he really brought that skill with him. Um, he believed in social causes, social action. He believed people should be involved in determining their own lives. And um, I think that that was a whole new kind of role that, that he brought that Northlight played in the community for many years. Essentially, it was a community member. The, the organization. Um, I guess he. one of the things that struck me early on is he would be an instigator. He, he would <laughs> say just what you didn't want to hear so that he would get people rallied and he'd get people active. And he, he really was quite good at um, motivating people to be involved. Um, he actually talked me into accepting the um, role as executive director, kind of put, tossing my name into the hat because he told me, uh, you know, I was 26 years old. I didn't want that kind of responsibility. And he told me that's all right because a woman could never do that job. And he certainly <laughs> was just goading me. And he knew right. he had me hook, line, and sinker <laughs> then and there, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, that's amazing. Honestly, um, we've had quite a few interesting characters that came in the Northlight over the years. Um, John Willard being one of them, Irene, I think you being one of them as well. Now, with all these different personalities, um, how do you manage dealing with so many, an array of personalities over time? Well, I think, first of all, I really enjoy people. I just find them fascinating. Um, Every time I meet a new person, I find that to be an enriching experience for me. I love the stories of people, the history. and again, I'll, I'll throw a John Willard quote in there. He, to give you an idea, his sense of humor, he used to say, Northlight was like a granola bar. Fruits, nuts, and flakes. 
but when you put them all together, they taste good and they're even good for you. So, <laughs> I mean, I think that was it. In a, not to be a pun, but in a in nutshell. nutshell. <laughs> Krista, how do you feel about that being our new tagline? Oh, I think it's a requirement. <laughs> well, let's take a little turn uh, um i do want to talk about the challenges of north flight and what are some of the challenges or tragedies that have affected north flight that was a learning curve for you in your career so i i think everything was a learning curve from the day i started there um there are just lots of changes when i when i uh took the role of executive director so even though that north flight had a almost 50-year history and in infrastructure, there was no clearly established roadmap that I could just plug into. Um, so, you know, there were continuing education opportunities, but the biggest asset I think Northlade had uh, for me was a wealth of social capital. Just really smart and skilled people who uh, cared about its work and served as, an inv as invaluable resources very willingly. And I reached out to these people on a regular basis. Um, I think social capital is key for a small organization like Northlight. Um, one of the biggest challenges for us was that for many years, the large majority of Northlight's funding came from United Way membership. And since United Way disband disbanded membership and took a different approach to funding, finding uh, charitable resources to support Northlight's work in the community has been an ongoing challenge. So as an autonomous organization with a limited capacity for earned revenue, there's really no established funding model to just plug into. Uh, to date, Northlight has been successful in diversifying its funding base, uh, but the future still remains a challenge. Mm. A challenge for Krista now. <laughs> <laughs> Take up the baton. <laughs> You know what I love about Irene is the fact that she stays strong in what she believes in and stays firm in what she believes in and she fights for everything she believes in. Like she, I remember this one time, not to get off topic, but we were uh, digging up the um, asphalt <laughs> and you were out there every single day, like measuring every single day, going back and forth, measuring, measuring, measuring every single day. And I think that's a testament to just how much grit you have and achieving task and making sure that the task is achieved no, despite what obstacles are in place. Well, grit is important, and, and um, I think Northlake as an organization has grit. Um, I was once told that's probably not a good face to put out there, but um, I believe that it, it's absolutely the key to its survival <laughs> along with social capital. Yeah. And now gritty is literally a mascot in Philadelphia. <laughs> Go Flyers. Uh, scrappy is another word that's... Right, scrappy. <laughs> scrappy. <laughs> yeah, that describes Northlight. <laughs> make it work with what you have at hand, you know? Yeah. But I feel like make it work is still in there from Tim Gunn. But <laughs> <laughs> um, so with United, the losing funding from United Way... It crippled Northlight. How did you overcome those challenges? Well, there, there was a, um, a strategy that uh, was planned by a number of very bright people on the board. And um, we got a lot of advice from outside and put together a roadmap of how to diversify funding. And one of the first things we needed to do was reach out to the new businesses in the community. 
um, not typically a place where we uh, would fundraise at the time. And they really rallied. They got to know us, um, got to appreciate the work that we did. And um, we really enjoyed, I think, uh, broad community support for, for many years. So that's our, our basic you know, funding that we start with. Um, I guess the other thing is, uh, you know, we had to learn how to fundraise and how to do development because that was not a part of what we did at that point. So we had to take resources that we did, uh, that we had for our work and use it to raise resources. Um, and we called that our bootstrap campaign. And we built upon that and put together um, a six-year plan for capacity building. And at the end of that plan, we had a diverse funding base. And we had a development capacity internally. So that, that was a key chain, change that was you know, needed. I think without that, we wouldn't be here today. Yeah, I think that was a smart choice. I, if I may, I, I don't mean to boil down like the entire strategic plan that started from the time that we were losing United Way funding to one person. But I am curious because John Kelly was certainly one of the visionaries in terms of carrying out that entire capacity. And I, and I am curious, and I don't know if I've ever actually asked you, but what did that relationship with John mean well, going through those hard times? Because I know from stories just how hopeful John was and you know, uh, you two together sound like an absolute fireball. John was one of the most positive people I've ever met in my life, John Kelly. Um, and even though he was an academic, you know, by profession, uh, he was he was a gritty person as, as well. Um, and he just really believed. His roots went back. Northlight had a big influence on him. John Willard had a big influence on him when he was um, in his college days. And he was so passionate about coming back and seeing the organization continue to be successful despite the huge challenges. So um, he just was somebody, he wouldn't let you give up. So, you know, you certainly just continued to plug. And there were just so many people that made it possible uh, like everything at Northlake, uh, you know, there's a it takes a a, gr a a group to make it work. Yeah. Well, that's a tough comment to follow, especially following John Kelly. I think he was an amazing person too. He he was always something, someone who was always so pleasant and always like knew everybody by name and smiled and everything. So, yeah. yeah. You met him. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I never had the pleasure as my first week working at Northlight. And I had the same initials as John Kelly, mm. which I learned very early on. But literally my first week at Northlight is when he passed away. Mm. And the comments that I got, the emails that came along with the gifts that were given in his honor were tremendous. Or in his memory, mm -hmm. I guess. I mean, it was amazing. He must have just been the greatest guy. He was a great guy. Yeah, he really was. Mm. Yes. Okay. Um, so, switch gears a little bit. Um, 
What's the time that you thought about quitting and why? I know the answer to this stuff. <laughs> well, I guess um, there were lots of days when I was frustrated. Um, never bored, but mm. sometimes frustrated. And um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know that I actually... Uh, one of the things that concerns me about Northlight's future is that the employees really sacrifice um, to work there. And um, I think that we need to do something about that for long term. There is an old settlement house model where you know people moved into the ghettos and into the slums so that they could be living along with the people that they served. Um, but I don't know that that's the way we want to move forward in the future. <laughs> yeah. I thought she was so I thought you were going to mention that first day but oh I see <laughs> so yeah John John's I reminded me of his story so I you know I didn't think of quitting I just said I would never work in the place but um, <laughs> my first in encounter was with a, a 10 year old who came in reeking of cigarettes who uh I tried to engage in, in playing a game in the game room to get to know. Um, I made several mistakes, including uh, thinking that she was a boy um, <laughs> because she was pretty tough, and also um, putting her back in um, chutes and ladders many times because <laughs> I happened to land on it. Uh, she proceeded to toss the game in the air, in my face pretty much, and uh, curse me out and walk out of the room and I thought I could never work in this <laughs> <laughs> and that was in January of 1979 so right. wow. and you loved it ever since <laughs> <laughs> it's just one of the the many <laughs> errors or judgments I made <laughs> yeah. are there what what other errors have you made that you wish that maybe you could have rectified well many but I I think um you know, probably too numerous to count, but I think ours are part of, um, you know, risk-taking, and you just have to learn by your mistakes and not repeat them over and over again. Um, and you have to take risks to grow, and so I, I think you can't be afraid of making a mistake. I think it's uh, important, and, and it's e easier said than done sometimes. Sure. Yeah. I have a question. So... Even with it, you said that, you know, errors help you grow, basically, right? And with the small community like Northlight, those errors were probably closer, a little more closer to home than, as you mentioned earlier, in a big bureaucracy that you possibly would have worked at. How do you think that affected the community or the people that you were serving, if any? Well, I just, uh, I think you have to own your errors and, um... <laughs> I don't think anything was tragic, thank goodness. Um, I tried to keep in mind um, when working with children that the most important thing is safety. Um, and then everything else comes from there. And um, I was always proud that we never had any huge um, injury or harm come to a young person. So that was always something that made me walk on eggshells. I always, that was the one error I 
wasn't going to forgive myself for. <laughs> so I'm happy that it never happened, or in, you know, in any way. Yeah. Forty years, zero catastrophic injuries is a pretty good record. <laughs> yes. That is a great record. Yeah. <laughs> So how did you manage all this? How did you manage uh, a career in nonprofit and raising a family? Because a career in nonprofit can be a little taxing on the individual. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm actually glad that I, I did both. Um, but there were times when I thought I wasn't doing, uh, you know, a good enough job on either end, um, because you're you're always kind of juggling lots of balls up in the air. Uh, Luckily, my husband, willingly or not, um, <laughs> would would um, take charge of many evenings while I was at work, and um, you know, put dinner on the table and do tubby time when they were little, and then homework supervision and get three kids to bed, and you know, that's no easy feat. That's a lot of work to do, and um, so. I have to be grateful to him for that end, and he reminds me of that very often. <laughs> but that was really um, an important ingredient, I think, in, in making it work, was I had a supportive spouse. Yeah. Follow-up question, relatively unimportant, but what is tubby time? <laughs> I'm very curious. <laughs> I don't know the answer to the question. Paul had all his own names for everything, so that was everybody <laughs> getting their, their bath before mm-hmm. they settled into you know, go to bed at night before. Bed oh, like night. a tub, like a bathtub. Yeah. That's really Jesse cute. Jesse is the youngest one. <laughs> yeah. So I'm literally the age was that Irene was when she took over as a very young executive director. Yes. And I think even just hearing that you empowered Paul very early on to allow you to be an upstanding woman for your community. And I just, just now because we are in the year of the woman, I'm sure, I think we're still in the year of the woman. But it's always it's, the year of the woman. Right, say that. <laughs> but I think that, that really, I mean, a lot of the times now you hear a lot of fathers or men that are stepping up and taking on a lot of those duties, but... He had to do it whether he liked it or not. Because <laughs> you were really dedicated to the center. I think that's, a, that's awesome. But I think that's a testament to your love for each other. The fact that he's willing to not be emasculated by it, but support the wife that he loves and holds dear to his heart. And I think that's an incredible, amazing commitment he made and y'all did together to raise Three, three to beautiful children. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I never did get him the bronze plaque with all yeah. letters that he um, said he should be getting for his work for Northland. Well, he can listen when to Irene us. was retiring. I have to do that. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We have that spot in the in the parking lot where there's literally like a house for like a saint. And I always thought that we could put like a statue of you, but maybe we should just have Paul. Paul, oh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Doing tubby time. Yes, tubby time. Oh, that could be perceived wrongly. <laughs> Speaking of tubby time, what are some other traditions that you would like the former, uh, as the former director, to pass on to the new director? Well, I think one thing is a, a committed tenure. Um, because, as I mentioned, Northlight had only previous to this had three directors in 83 years. Um, and I, I think that that consistency is really important in it being part of the community. Uh, I guess, you know, a love for people, which I, I think, um, and, and to care about 
mission, really to come back to mission, uh, be focused on that, especially in terms of the children. So I think they're the uh, two major traditions. One, one, one other thing is I've always been just fascinated by how many young people return as professionals later Bernetta. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just been over the years, there's been so many and that sit on our board. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's an important tradition to keep a balanced mix in that way of, of internal and external kind of, you know, you don't want to get um, too limited or too ingrown, but you, you want to keep some of those things, um, some of those people involved in the party. When looking for your successor... I mean, you had 250 applicants. Like, <laughs> wow. That's I mean, that whole process is just crazy. <laughs> but what is it that you were actually looking for? What were what attributes were you looking for? What attributes was the board looking for? Well, the, the board really led that process. And um, Blythe McCormick, who is the president of North Heights Board, um, just really did an amazing, careful, thorough job. Um, of uh, doing the search process. And I was not actually involved until the very final stages. Like, I came in in the ninth inning um, <laughs> for the face-to-face -face interviews. And at that point, you know, of course you're looking for somebody who has tons of skills. Um, you kind of have to be a generalist because you're running your own shop. Um, I also was looking for someone who, we've said gritty, but somebody who is both patient but also perseveres because that's an important um, ingredient. I think a lifelong learner um, because uh, one thing you can be sure of is there'll always be change. Mm -hmm. And um, I like that old Will Rogers saying that you know you might be on the right track, but if you stay there long enough, you're going to get run over by a train. Mm. <laughs> is Will Rogers Mr. Rogers? No. no. I apologize. I'm just Clarifying question. Some of, young, quest, some of our <laughs> listeners may have the same question. Yeah, there are little, people born in baby. the 90s. Um, I think it's somebody who recognizes all the skills that other people have so that they can call on those because you're going to need that. You need that support over, over the years. Um, kind of they're the main things. I could actually make a little notes on that, but uh, I don't know where they are right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's along there. It looks like you got all of them. So with 250 candidates, then we land on Kristen. What gave her the right spice to make her right for North Light? So um, <laughs> when I made up my mind was actually after the interview when we were kind of taking a little walk around the building and I was kind of walking her around and showing her around and and in that conversation, I um, just got this sense that she was both caring, um, but also entrepreneurial because you have to have that spirit. You have to almost look at it like your small business. And I just got that sense of her from her. Um, and then one of the key ingredients for me is she has a sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> and you're gonna need that. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> Do you remember that walk? I do. I figure it was it was not that long ago. <laughs> what was it like for me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she cornered me and asked me why I really wanted the position. Yep. And I figured if I didn't answer that right, I was out the door. 
well, uh, Krista, <laughs> <laughs> what brought you to Northlight? Like, what made you say, okay, let me work at Northlight. I want to be a Northlightian. <laughs> you just made a new word. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> um, I think for me, uh, one of the things that's been really important in my life is that I've had the, the benefit over time of having people who've... Um, maybe in some of my most awkward moments of life, have reached out to me and mentored me in, in some way, whether that's formally or informally. And, um, and so young people, youth, have always been a real passion um, to me to make sure our young people um, get what they need to be successful in life. Um, so prior to Northlight, I was, uh, had my own small business. I was doing consulting. Um, and there were some wonderful things about that. But what I missed the most with a lot of the nonprofits that I worked with was that I didn't really get to meet people. I was just helping them to do a better job of what they did, which was great work. But I didn't really get to connect to people the way that I, I used to. And so I really missed that. Um, so when I had a chance to start interviewing, go throughout the process of Northlight, I just started realizing dealing with Blythe and yourself, Irene, and the board that um, these are people that really loved this community and really loved this organization. Um, and I was like, this is like a magical place. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, it was, it was kind of experiencing the people and kind of seeing how much they loved and how much they were engaged and believed in the work that Northlight was doing. So. so now that you're here, what are some of the things that you see can help Northlight benefit? Like, what are some of the things that we can um, make our program evolve? Sure. So there's been a lot of um, people over the years, as you guys just talked about, the history of the different people who've been involved that invested so much um, in the lives of the staff and of the people who come through the center, like Renetta. <laughs> um, and it's just an incredible place and a credible thing to be a part of and uh, when you invest in people like that um, and you like Irene was talking about if you approach people uh, there's some similarities between us in that um, I love to travel and I love new experiences and the beauty of those kinds of things is that when you meet new people there is always a story and there's always something to be learned and it's very clear that Northlight is that place. There's been so many people in the short time that I've been there, less than two months, that have just walked in the door that if you take the time to stop for a second, um, they're going through something or there's something that you know they came there um, wondering about or needing. And if you, if you stop and just take a moment to like listen um, and be a part of that, it's, it's a beautiful and a privileged thing to be able to, to do and to be a part of someone's life and their journey. Um, and so I, I think just building on that work, um, there's a lot of opportunity at Northlight. Um, there's been a lot of great programs that have um, provided opportunity for a lot of people. And I think if we just continue to figure out, you know, what are the opportunities that are out there that we can bring to Northlight to um, bring to our families, to our kids, our, our teens, um, and any adult that comes through the door as well. That it's kind of making building those bridges, making those connections between what's happening out there and what's happening in the lives of people at Northlight. Yes. So I don't want to leave Krista as an anomaly, and I'll be real with you guys. I didn't write too many questions. Can we 
get a little background about little Krista, just little like we Krista. found out about little Irene. Were you known as little Krista, like Irene? <laughs> no, no. Not known as little Krista. Um, but funny enough, Scrappy was something that people often called me. Um, I played basketball, and that was that's what people called me, Scrappy. So they said I was a Scrappy ball player. So oh, you have that in common. So apparently, we have something in common there, right? <laughs> Um, well, I grew up about an hour and a half from Philadelphia and Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Um, I've been in Philly about 20 years, and I love this city. Um, my family, who are a little bit of a farm background, keep asking me why I live in Philadelphia. <laughs> but I really love the city, and I really love the people here, and um, I don't see myself leaving anytime soon. So um, so that's a little bit of my background. Um, I mean, I don't know what else. I what about educationally? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I went to Penn State. Um, my undergrad degree is actually in geography. Geography. <laughs> um, the focus was on, on urban and regional development, so there is some crossover. But I spent a lot of time in um, youth development, workforce development, and community and economic development. So it's all been about like development of place and people, um, and that's what I'm most passionate about. And the beauty of being at Northlight is not only are there great people, but it's a really great community. Um, and there's a lot of opportunity, and it's really tied to the community. Um, which I think is great. It's owned, there's ownership there by people that surround Northlight, which I think is a really awesome thing. You don't find that in a lot of nonprofits now. People are kind of all over the place. People are very generous, but they don't tend to be really community-based organizations. It's hard to, to find those quality organizations like Northlight. So I think it's really great to be a part of that. Nice. I have a question. Would you go back to the farm? No. Um, <laughs> although I like to visit it. It's a great place to visit. Okay. <laughs> I like That's the outdoors, but uh, no, I love the city. <laughs> well, we have a farm at Saw if you need to go. <laughs> fill it <laughs> home. That's great. That's a good little plug for Saw. I, love I like it. Yes. So, you guys, this is, I think this is a good time to go to back in my day. Back in my day. Back, back in my day. day. Yeah. <laughs> they usually say that, but I'm happy to take the tour. So, you guys, uh, let's talk about when you realized you wanted to work in a nonprofit and what difference had it, has it made in your life? We'll start with Irene. <laughs> I never really made that conscious decision. Um, it just evolved. Um, and uh, time goes by before you know it. Uh, but what it's brought to my life is just so much enrichment from the wealth of people that I probably, in some other role, would have never met and crossed paths with so many people. Um, that in each and every one of them, uh, I learned something from, and they enrich my life. So that has been uh, what I've really loved about the work. Thank so, you, Irene. Jesse. <laughs> uh, so mine was a very intentional decision to work in nonprofits. Um, after I got arrested, which we talked about on the last podcast, yeah. um, I did court-mandated community service just to clear myself like I always do. Arrested for something that I didn't do. Still pretty miffed about that situation. But it worked out well. Um yeah, so I come from a very privileged background, um, had ability to pay for things. My parents willingly paid for things. And I had court-mandated community service with Oberlin Community Services, 
went to Oberlin College. That was a small nonprofit that's actually kind of similar to Northlight. It's just geared toward a rural Ohio community as opposed to an urban Pennsylvania community. Um, but I just fell in love with, uh, you know, kind of the mission. The idea for receiving services that you don't necessarily pay for was something that amazed me. Um, and, you know, I had heard about nonprofits, but I hadn't really seen the functioning. And I had the privilege of being the public health advocate my senior year, um, which is actually when I started the change campaign, the idea of raising money on a college campus to fund a community center. Um, and just getting to see the difference that it made. They had a food cupboard as well, and getting to see people be fed who maybe haven't been fed in a while and get fresh food that they otherwise wouldn't have been able to get. Um, getting a grant for $20,000 from the Ohio Commission on Minority Health. Um, getting to see people get their GEDs, which was something that OCS did. Um, and, you know, it really changed the course of their lives and not just their lives, but their families' lives. It was just amazing. Um, and, you know, I don't know if I'll be in nonprofit work forever, but I'm really glad that it's where I got my start because um, it based me in the grassroots where people make a positive change in other people's lives. And that's where like real difference happens. So that's how I got into nonprofit work. Oh, um, <laughs> so for me, I didn't even realize community centers were nonprofit community, like businesses or basically. So I grew up at a community center called R.W. Brown and it's located in North Philly. And it was a part of the Boys and Girls Clubs for a very long time. And I just remember having so much opportunity there. Arts and craft program. I learned how to swim. I learned I was a lifeguard. We had a pool that was 15 feet deep. So I was a deep <laughs> diver. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was people from Temple that came over to help us, like, volunteer at the community center. There were people from um, just a lot of nonprofit centers, um, places. And I just didn't realize. I was like, this is amazing. Like, who would ever not come here? We had after-school program. It was um, something called pregnancy prevention, where we took home those little doll babies that cried all night long. Um, we had <laughs> we went to pumpkin patches. We went to um, um, the apple orchards. Like we did everything, everything I could think of. Imagine we had school buses. We had. Everything. I mean, just everything. Some of my friends still to this day I met at R.W. Brown. And um, it just was an amazing place. And so for me, just coming back to the city of Philadelphia, I just wanted to bring something to kids like I had. Just something that was people that care, adults, young adults, um, programs out the wazoo, just so many that you couldn't, you wouldn't be bored. And my mom always told me that an idle mind is the devil's playground. So it was always something to do, reading a book, doing an arts project, talking to somebody, playing basketball, just doing whatever that was available to you. So that's where my 
my nonprofit work started for me. My little heart just grew bigger and bigger. Um, with North Philly changing so much, I like a community that has so much to give. So that's why North Light was something that I attended as a teenager. And what difference could I make if I couldn't go back to the place they gave to me? So this has always been something that I wanted to do. And I really enjoy doing this. Krista, you're up next. <laughs> How did I get in nonprofit? Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess it was a little similar. Like, um, <clears throat> so actually, I started out. Uh, my first gig in Philadelphia was volunteering. I, I did a whole year. It was a AmeriCorps type program, and uh, so that's where I really got a lot of my exposure uh, to the nonprofit world and. Um, I was working in North Philadelphia, actually, uh, for an organization called Project Home. And, uh, yeah, they're an amazing organization doing really great work. And had a chance to work in their community economic development department. And I basically walked uh, the streets every day um, doing assessments for them for their businesses and their residential sites. Um, and had a chance to talk to people in the neighborhood and kind of learn about what was going on there, what the challenges were, um, what the uh, opportunities were, those kinds of things. And, uh, yeah, I kind of decided that's what I wanted to do. That's amazing. How about you, John? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, so my mom, when she I was younger, she was a part of ACORN. Is anybody familiar with ACORN? Sounds familiar. It was like yeah. a housing organization. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so what they did with the children was they would ask, have them in, by the zoo in the middle of the street asking people for donations. So I would be in the middle of the street asking people for donations. And I think that was my first interaction with the nonprofit. <laughs> I was a very fearless little kid. And I, I, they gave you, like, you get a bonus if you made the most money. So I'm very competitive as most people know so Bernetta's freaking out. <laughs> yeah. so as when i was growing up my mom was just no you cannot stand on the corner she always used to say living in north philly we would have the chair the cheerleaders or the drill team girls standing outside she said they look like little prostitutes you're on the corner begging for money don't do that that's not right so she was always just a child advocate like no this is a safety issue this is not teaching them the right way so that's why i was freaking out so yeah so john please do continue about your time as a little prostitute yes i was a young little prostitute <laughs> thanks Bernetta. <laughs> so anyway okay i'm sorry all right so they got me started and after that, um, I actually went to school before I even started interning at North Light. I was in school for computer tech, and they wanted me to go to Comcast, and I did the interview for Comcast. They wanted me and everything, and I didn't want to go to Comcast. I was like, I'm going to sit in front of the computers all day, and what difference would I make? So I requested, and I think her name was Christina Harris. I requested to work at a nonprofit, so then she was looking into it, and she was like, how about this place called North Light in Maniac? I was like, all right, we'll see. And so when I first joined Northlight, I got exposed to Artie Verbrugge. <laughs> <laughs> and I just was hooked. I didn't have too many interactions with Irene at first, but my initial interaction with Artie, he was, he's very animated, and he makes you believe in whatever he's talking about. He could be talking about this desk or this microphone, and he makes you believe in it. And 
I kind of got hooked into it like that. And the difference that it made on my life was I don't think that I would have realized how much passion I had for helping children. I did not like children before working with children. <laughs> so it just was like something that I guess grew on me over time. And like working with children, I was like, these children are just like me when I was bad and young. <laughs> so let me try to help them as much as possible. And I think that if it wasn't for Nurse Light, I wouldn't have any of the opportunities that I've had today. And I'm forever grateful for that. But it, it all goes back to the nonprofit. We reach out. Our outreach is amazing. And the amount of families that we touch on a regular basis has been tremendous. Yeah. So, yeah. If, if I may ask a follow-up question and then... You can get them the conclusion and all. So I would love to ask Irene, because we gave voice to John Kelly and all that he did, but Artie Verbrugge is another huge character during your time. So I don't know if you want to share some. Yeah. I want to hear a funny story about Artie, like one of the funniest. And then in advance, before <laughs> I forget, I would love for each of us sitting here, besides Irene, she can also give her favorite story of herself. But I would love for each of us to like tell our favorite Irene story. Okay, I, can I also do that. know what mine would be, so I'm like, <laughs> but yeah, Artie first. Art, Art, and I had been friends since we were uh, young kids. Lived around the corner from each other, and I think I tortured him most of his childhood. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we just kept finding times in life when we intersected. And uh, when I first was at Northlake. I, we had a he very sports-heavy program, and I noticed that some of the uh, young people that were constantly kind of getting in trouble, just they weren't athletic, and they needed another outlet. Art had always been involved in theater, very talented, um, and just enjoys it, and uh, was not my thing. <laughs> Basketball was more my thing. Uh, so I reached out to Art to come help me do some creative dramatics with um, young people because and and the response that he got was amazing um, but art is one of these people that can do really anything that he sets his mind to and, and make other people believe in those things as you said John um, so we really had a in our working relationship it was very complimentary um, I think that uh, I used to say I would write something and it was so terse and to the point and Art would write something there was so much flowery language by the time I finished it I didn't know what he was saying. But we, learned, <laughs> we learned to work side by side and, and really just put those things together and we, we were a good complement for one another and um, as a colleague he was very, um, very big support for me and uh, we worked together for about 26 years. I think Art's been gone from Northlight about 10 years, but uh, he comes back very often yes. for this or that, and we call on him whenever you know we need him. He was there last week. Yeah, mm -hmm. he was yeah. there this past summer and came yeah. and did some uh, dramatics <laughs> with the kids. So um, he's just an amazing person, and I think he really embodies kind of this spirit of Northlight. Yes, definitely. So I have a question. So there's pictures around the center with plays, and is that Artie? North Lake players. That's Art. Artie's oh in a lot goodness. of those pictures. So one of the one of the pictures or one of the movies that they did a play about is one of my favorite movies. It's Babes in Toyland. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> it's like one of my 
drop their favorites. So as looking at, as I'm looking around the center, I'm like, I know that one. I know that one. A lot of the ones I don't know. But that's amazing. I would love to see their production. We have a lot of VHS tapes if we can find we a VHS have. player that works. We have the VHS of these plays? Yeah, we got a lot wow. of VHS tapes. Oh, that's a definitely back in my day. Jesse, you know what a VHS is? No, I'm just <laughs> Yeah, but not from personal experience. Only from, only from academic studies. No, I'm kidding. We had that thing that wound them for like six years of my life before they came out with DVDs. Wow. The, the players yeah. are founded the North Side Players, and mm-hmm. over 20 years, they had about close to 50 productions. Wow. And um, he was always quite creative, even within the productions, in that uh, anybody who came out, you know, he found a role for them. I remember when we did The Sound of Music, all of a sudden the Abbey was a little girl's school because we must have had 40 little girls come out for parts. Um, and Art just always made it work. Um, he's pretty amazing to watch. And he also made people stretch and, and stretch themselves and try something new. Mm. My basketball team that I coached when I first came to North Lake were the roughest, most foul-mouthed girls you'd ever want to meet. And they actually were the nuns in the sound of music. He had them singing on stage wearing a habit. So, I mean, uh, we did do the miracle worker, but we should have called that the miracle worker. (laughs) So can we all share a favorite story of Irene? Do you have something else to add before that? Uh, no, it's a favorite story about Irene. Start us off, John. I think Irene, she knows one of my favorite stories with her is kind of, well, it is recent. It was when I was going through my breakup, <laughs> that drama. Um, but I remember her just hugging me, and I, I freaked out. And I think this is the first time you probably ever seen me, like, curse in front of, like, ever. But, like, I was freaking out, and I was upset, and she held me. And she was like, sometimes you got to just put those things on the back and come back to it later on. But just put it on the back and revisit it and say, I don't need to touch on that right now. Maybe I push it back a little further. And then eventually you do come back to that one subject and deal with it. But for right now, put it on the back and deal with everything else in life. And I think that actually did help me tremendously. And I took that advice. I would look at my phone and they would text me and I'll be like, I'm going to put this on the back. Mm -hmm. And it worked. It really did like resonate to me. And I think that was the first time because me and Irene's relationship was a little (laughs) rocky. (laughs) But it was the first time that I felt like Irene's austerism was she had like a real heart. And I really like loved her in that moment. Like I really felt yeah, I really, it was the most sentimental moment that I've had at North Lake. Thank you, John. Yeah. John, you didn't follow directions. I, what? You didn't make us laugh. It was had to be funny. <laughs> no, that was no, a no. beautiful story. <laughs> no, that was, <laughs> that was a was nice great. story. You did not make us laugh. You didn't make us laugh. Um, I... I passed. Come back to me. I have to think of my I story. Didn't know we, all game. Right <laughs> we all have a right to participate. Um, my favorite Irene story, and, you know, to John's point, they're looking at the longevity of our relationship, which is only a year and a half, so in relationship to the 40 years you've had at Northlight, I'm a speck. But 
I mean, you, you taught me so much in terms of resilience, um, how to just be graceful in the face of pressure. I remember when we were really struggling to meet budget. Um, you were just like, yeah, it is what it is, but like, why let it get you down? Um, and stuff like that sticks with me and I think always will. But my favorite story, like individual story, is you with a specific funder that I won't name because I think that we should still hope to get funded by them. <laughs> <laughs> but it was me and two other white men in a room with Irene. And I don't think that you ever really realized, Irene, that, like, you were ever in a minority. It was always the People's Republic of Irene, right? Mm -hmm. I just came back from China, where it's the People's Republic of China. And at Northlight, it was always the People's Republic of Irene. Everyone had a voice. Everyone got to have their elected official, and everyone would have chosen Irene. Mm -hmm. And this, these funders, just three white men and Irene in a room, and they asked, what are the tr what's the problem? that north lights faced what is the trouble sort of like we asked her and she just looked at them and she was like it's white men <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> which was the realest statement i had ever heard but she was like it is white men and not understanding what people really need and sort of everything that you said about you know how the social capital and how we need to pay people and it was like, we have some messed up funding priorities, and that is really hindering Northlight from being able to do its real thing. But she started off with white men, and it was just amazing. It was, it was everything that I learned at Oberlin in a single statement, and I loved every second of it. Um, and just as an end note to that, they actually gave us $2,000 more this year than they what? did last year. <laughs> so it must have worked. Or they had a very successful business year and had some more money to allocate. But either way, it didn't hurt us, so kudos. I, I will forever love clarify, that one. <laughs> I, I am married to a white man, so I don't <laughs> yeah, no, It's not hatred toward white men in general. It's just like, it was just an amazing comment. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Um, so I don't have a funny story. It's probably more of a comforting story but Irene has a very good way of being personable with people and as she mentioned she loves stories so just making I think she is the fun and the funny like <laughs> um even when you just feel down especially like being at a community center with so many different things coming at you it's just like go in her office get a break take a breather she like take a break I'm like she like breathe I'm like <laughs> losing it <laughs> I'm losing it over here, but she just had a very common way of making me feel comfortable, even in the space of uncomfortability. So, yeah, that's really just closing the door, just breathing, no judgment zone, just relax. And I was like, cool. Whew, where can you do that at? All right, I got it. I got it. I'm back. I'm back. Yeah, so I really appreciate that. Yeah. Krista? Well, I haven't had the privilege of being in Irene's presence for long enough, but um, as you guys mentioned, she loves to tell stories, and those are the things that I'll, that stick in my mind and will continue to stick in mind as uh, in my mind as I do this job. And we were talking about um, evaluations the other day, <laughs> which I think this might be one of John's favorite stories. <laughs> and I'm probably not going to do it justice, but basically the story goes that um, Irene uh, basically told her boss she wasn't coming in one evening <laughs> when he demanded that she be there. 
And the next day, um, <laughs> the next day she comes in and thinking she's going to get in lots of trouble. Is it okay to keep telling this story? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's the story I wanted to hear. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should have her tell it. <laughs> she can fill in the blanks. I'm enjoying this. <laughs> she comes in the next day and is waiting for him to, to basically fire her or, you know, whatever the worst possible thing could be, which would be that. And um, at the end of the story, he basically comes up to her and is like, whatever you do, just buy a brassiere. <laughs> <laughs> And I am lit. I have worn a brassiere to Northlight every day. <laughs> so do the moral you know what of the story is, is? I do. <laughs> only because you've told me the story. But that is an yeah. awesome story. I love so, that story. You guys aren't going to get off that easy. We're going to have evaluations. But uh, <laughs> I won't be telling anyone to buy a brassiere. I was about to say, I have I not worn a take us away well i mean hold on i'm trying to think of a good way to say this <laughs> there are no goodbyes for us hold up what i can't hold up <laughs> i mean i'm not even gonna read this how about oh, this i'm gonna talk right to you <laughs> right exactly love it the amount of work that you have done to Northlight. no disrespect Krista, but it cannot be replaced. You have left a shit stain of love, emotion, uh, just overall like realness and rawness and kindness and perseverance and just knowing how to put your fist down and sometimes I might not agree with it, but you had times, John. Yeah. The, the, yeah the, <laughs> but at the end of the day, it was, this is what needs to be done. And this is how it can be achieved. And it wasn't anything subjective. It was always objective at all times that you really thought about how to achieve a goal. A lot of times that's a hard skill set to teach a leader. And I think that, with the amount of care that you put into this, into Northlight, there's nothing we can really say. There's nothing that we can really do to replace Irene. You will forever be missed, forever and always be loved. Like you are beloved Northlight, and I hope you know that, Irene. I feel it. I feel it all this time. I'm glad because you deserve it. Uh, Forty something years. I mean, gosh, I wasn't even thought of, Irene. <laughs> but, like, in all honesty, I'll miss your air brakes. <laughs> I'll miss uh, I'll miss being able to go into your office. Like, I honestly miss getting in trouble with you. I do. Like, I, I miss. I was thinking that, too. I'm going to miss the fights. Right. I, I do. I remember, like, me and whatever director was there at the time, we, we would be in the office, and I would think, okay, this is. Me, and not to say put you next to Donald Trump, but it was like the boardroom, and I was Amarosa, and they were whoever. <laughs> and I'll miss those moments. And then Irene, a lot of times, I might not like what she said, but she was always matter of fact, and I couldn't disagree with it. I couldn't. You couldn't be like, okay, she's wrong. Okay, I want to quit. No. And I think there was at one point I said, no, I quit. <laughs> but <laughs> you honestly, you just have so much grit, and you have so much personality and so much love and you're infectious 
very warm, warm and cakey. All right. Well, I that's it. it. Yeah. <laughs> it's all you're so, getting from me. Oh, okay. <laughs> and if you ever need me to come down and ball you out, just call me. I'm only a few blocks away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, definitely. Anybody else have any final words? I think John said it really in a nutshell. I, um, I feel like John has known Irene the longest and had to grow with her. <laughs> I tell a lot of my teens and my young adults that when you have kids young, they grow up with you too. So I think that that's what John is saying and all of his compassion that he was given is that he's grown with Irene through this organization and with the love and the compassion that she's given to the community as well. And I think that, I mean, we all know that it's, it resonates. It resonates. And I still have my magazine, Sister L. <laughs> 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 I never thought about that. I'm an Irene baby. Irene and Artie, if they had a baby, it would be John. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you guys. One thing I want to say, I would like to say thank you to MNYK Studios. Got it. <laughs> um, in addition to that, thank you, everyone, for listening. I would like to thank Bernetta, Krista, Irene, Jesse Kohler. And I hope you guys have a great night. Thank you.